So we're looking at the holiness of God this morning. And we looked last month at the sin nature that we get tangled up in on a daily basis. And we live with it so daily that it can become so common we don't even pay attention to what we're doing, how it's affecting us, how it's affecting those around us when we walk in sin. We may even start only confessing those really big things and forget to walk minute by minute in fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Um, and that's something we need to guard against. But the biggest danger of all that we have in this day and age is that we can start taking advantage or take for granted the grace of God and forget that sin affects our very relationship with him. This age of grace that we live in is a lot different than the age that was before us, the age of the law. Um, in that time period, God purposefully taught the people about his holiness, about his righteousness. And albeit sometimes we look at those Old Testament stories and we think, well, that was harsh. <laughs> but that was what he was doing to teach them that he was a God that was above all other gods that he was the only true God. And if we, like them, would fully grasp what his holiness means and what it provides for us as it did for them, it should give us a greater understanding of how far we fall short of that glory and righteousness of God. So he taught them through the law and he taught them through correcting their behavior and he taught them in ways that seem harsh to us from our human perspective. Um, we've read those Old Testament stories of God striking down those who fear him or treat him unholy. How many times did he kill someone because they disobeyed his commands? How many times, um, I'm thinking about the time when the men touched out to, to stop the ark from falling and he struck them dead. Why? because he had told them not to touch it, for it was holy. And if he had not struck them dead at that point, they wouldn't have seen the holiness of the Ark of the Covenant. So while, yes, it may seem harsh to us, to him it was the just thing that he had to do in order to teach them of his holiness. There have always been those who are flippant about who God was. God taught their lessons sharply, and they were swallowed up by the sea. They were swallowed up by the land. They were swallowed up by plagues and disease. And we still need to learn that this is the same God and treat him with the reverence, even in this age of grace. They were treated differently than us, and I praise God that I was not born and raised during that time because surely I would have been struck dead by now. Because, you know, I just always seem to think that my way is the right way. <laughs> but God shows me, even now, how wrong I am on most occasions. He keeps me pretty humble. And as grateful as I am that we don't have to do animal sacrifices anymore, we don't have to do all the ceremonial cleansings that they had to go through, we don't have to do any of that that was required of them. We still must be mindful of our daily walk with God. And we still must wash our feet 
as Jesus did to the, the disciples to make them clean again. And, you know, that story is, is one that we could look at. It's just got, it's so rich with what he was teaching them there. But our goal is to leave here today with a renewed commitment to putting God back on the throne of our lives, seeing him for who he is. He is God and we are not. And we're going to go, um, we're going to go to the book of Isaiah to look at this. The book of Isaiah, I don't know if you've ever read it. It was pretty depressing to me the first time I remember reading <laughs> through the whole book <laughs> because it is a book of judgment. It is a book of warning. But yet there is so much good in here, um, obviously, because it is God's word. In chapter 1, he says, Bring your worthless offerings no longer. Incense is an abomination to me. And then he goes on to talk about in... Um, Verse 18 of chapter 1, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be white as snow. They are, Though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. If you consent and obey, you will eat the best of the land. He's trying to warn them that they cannot continue to live in their sin. They need to make him the God of their life. And come now, let us reason together. God wants us to think with him on these things. In chapter 2, he says in verse 10, Enter the rock and hide in the dust from the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of his majesty. The Lord alone will be exalted in the day. Verse 12, For the Lord of hosts will have a day of reckoning. There will be a day of reckoning, ladies. And he is coming again. In verse 21, it says, Before the terror of the Lord and the splendor of his majesty, when he arises to make the earth tremble. The earth is going to tremble, Lord, the, when the Lord comes back. In verse 13 of that same chapter 3, The Lord arises to contend and stands to judge the people. He is the judge of all. We come to chapter 6, which is our text this morning. Oh, verse 5, or chapter 5, also in verse 20, it says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness. There is so much of that going on in our world today. They call evil good and they call good evil. But there is a day of reckoning coming. Look with me, if you will, at um, chapter 6, verse 1. We have Isaiah having a uh, vision of the throne room of God. And King Uzziah had just died, as we're going to read in the text. Uzziah was one of those men who thought he knew best. He was very prideful king, and to the point where God caused him to become leprous. And he was leprous until he died. And then we pick up this vision of Isaiah in chapter 6, verse 1. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two he flew. 
And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. And at this tremendous scene, Isaiah sees the Lord, Adonai. Adonai was the word that they used in substitution for the uh, text, I'll never get that word right, tetragrammaton of Yahweh, what we pronounce Yahweh, the W-H-Y, no, Y-H-W-H, excuse me, getting that messed up. Um, but instead of saying that, they would say Adonai. So Lord was Adonai. And he sees Adonai seated on the throne and the magnitude of God's holiness, one so perfect, so completely righteous, unlike any he had ever seen. And the angels call out to one another, holy, holy, holy. The declaration mentioned three times, was the highest form of praise because God wasn't just holy or just holy, holy. He was holy, holy, holy. There was no greater level of exclamation points to saying that he is holy. In the Hebrew, the emphasis could not be any stronger. And that recognition led Isaiah to see his own failure and sin and the sins of the people around him. In verse 5, he says, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So let me ask this question, ladies, and this is just between you and God. When was the last time that you sat before him and recognized the holiness of our God. When did you last take notice of who this God is that we declare to know and follow? The word holy in Hebrews is kadosh, and it means to be separate, pure, set apart, pertaining to being unique and pure in the sense of superior moral qualities and possessing certain essential divine qualities in contrast with what is human. There is a moral purity, and I put that description on your listening guide. God never has evil thoughts. God never has evil motives. God never has evil actions, because in him there is no darkness at all. There is not even the slightest imperfection. He is always righteous. In Isaiah 43, 3, God calls himself the Lord your God, the Holy One. He is the one who makes a way through the seas, a road in the wilderness, the rivers out of deserts, the one who redeems us and who calls us by name. He is the Lord your God, the Holy One. Isaiah 45, 21, through 22, says this, Declare and set forth your case. Indeed, let them consult together. Who has announced this from the old? On the right one. 
Yes. Who has long since declared it? Is it not I, the Lord? And there's no other God besides me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none except me. Turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. That is what our God has to say. And if we are to have a relationship with him, then we must meet him at that point of righteousness. You know, the world wants to meet him at his love. Because if he's all loving, then we are not going to be held to a standard of righteousness. But he is God, the Holy One, the Righteous One, and we must meet him at his righteousness. But Isaiah also goes on to tell us in chapter 64, 6, that we have no righteousness of our own. Ours is as filthy rags. So we have to have something happen to make us join together. And as Isaiah came to terms with that in his vision, he declared that, Woe is me, for I am ruined. Just as we are, ladies. Apart from Christ, we have no righteousness, and that is why we need our Savior. One time there was one who was living in the presence of God, and he decided that he wanted all God's glory for himself. And Lucifer's downfall was when he decided he would be like God most high. In his pride, he exalted himself in his mind to think that he knew better than God what was right. Isaiah tells us of this account in chapter 14, verses 12 through 14. He says, How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. You have been cut down to the earth, you who have weakened the nations. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to the heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God, and I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. That was Lucifer's thoughts. And then that had him and a third of his angels kicked out of heaven. And it was sometime after that we see in Genesis 3, chapter 5, or chapter 3, verses 5, his first attack on mankind was to tempt mankind to do this, have the very same thoughts, wasn't it? He came to Eve in the form of a serpent, and he said to her, For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And how appealing that must have seemed to Eve in her innocence to think that she could know the right thing to do all the time, to know what was evil. But you know what? She already knew what the right thing to do was, didn't she? God had told her what the right thing to do was. Do not eat of that tree. But she was deceived and listened to the voice of a serpent rather than the voice of her God. And we would like to say, shame on her, but we are no different. So often we listen to the serpent in the form of 
self-help books or the world around us or whatever, rather than listening to the voice of God. There is no other like him. Some years back, a book was written in which the author, when he was interviewed, said that his whole purpose for writing the book was to make God more approachable. And in that book, he called God Papa to make him more loving and more approachable. But it wasn't a him, it was a her. And as the book goes on, you see that God has his own little issues throughout the book. This book became a bestseller for over 70 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list, for over 211 weeks in one of the other, um, in the USA Today's list. It was made into a movie. Pastors and churches were propelling this movie and this book because they thought it was a way that would make it open to the world to accept God because it made, them more approach, made him more approachable. It was all the rage in the States, I don't know about here, but it was all from the perspective of making God more approachable, more like us. Man has always been aware of the disconnect between us and God. They don't even want to hear it most of the time because they feel so alienated from God. So they know about this disconnect and has tried many ways to make themselves equal to God. Most people would even make themselves God. I can make my own choices. I can make my own decisions. I know what is right for me. It doesn't matter if I think I'm a male when I'm a female or a female when I'm in a male because I know what is better for me. It doesn't matter how God created me. I know what is better for me. It doesn't matter what God says. I know what is better for me. They have made themselves into God's. So how can we make one who the holy angels cry out, holy, 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 all day long, like us? We can't. We can't even approach him with who we are because he is in unapproachable light. We cannot do it on our own. Two of my favorite words in the Bible are, but God. But God, he is the one that makes a way. In his mercy, he sent Jesus to become righteousness for us so that we could be holy and blameless before him. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. I know we go here often. It's one of my favorite books. <laughs> but let's look at chapter 1 real quick. We've spoken before about the importance of understanding the emphasis of chapter 1 is that we have been placed in Christ at the moment of our salvation. Look with me at verses 3 and 4 and follow along because I'm reading out of the New American Standard. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. 
just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. Our omniscient God looked down through the future, and he looked ahead and saw all of those who would place their faith in the work of Jesus Christ and placed us in Christ, and then he chose to make those in Christ holy and blameless before him. Christ was the vessel, the one who was holy and blameless, and those who accept that salvation from him are made holy and blameless because we are in him. But God, those words, he's the one that makes a way. And though we are a weaker, lesser life form than the angels at this point in time, they won't stay that way, by the way, um, unable to see God's face in our current state, he sent the second person of the Trinity to bridge that gap for us. And as Jesus laid aside his place of glory to come and explain the Father to us, Jesus, who was the representation of the Father to us, Jesus, who would redeem us and give us the potential for the impossible that we looked at last month. We were unable to approach the Father, but God demonstrated his own love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, providing new life that all those in Christ would be holy and blameless before him. Jesus is the one that makes God approachable, not our ideas of him, not our views of him. So we accept this tremendous gift becoming his own. Romans chapter 2, 15 says, God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. And then in chapter 3 of Romans, verses 21 through 26, he goes on to say that apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for those who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace, through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, who God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness, because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time, so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And what is our response to having a relationship with this holy and righteous God? Well, he gives us a commandment in 1 Peter chapter 1, 14 through 19. 1 Peter chapter 1. You have it there on your listening guide. It reads, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, 
Be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. If you address the Father as the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Look at that, those verses again, and take a moment, if you have a pen, underline these words. Right at the beginning there, obedient. Underline obedient. And then underline, do not be conformed. In verse 15, underline, be holy. in all your behavior. And then down in verse 17, conduct yourselves in fear. Verse 18, knowing. Those are action verbs for us. Those are the actions that we are to have in our new life in Christ. It should exist, consist of living as obedient children. Not to keep living like we were. Not to be conformed to our former lusts. We've been taught differently now. Just as the Israelites were taught by the law, we have been taught differently. We should not live by the lusts that we previously lived by. We are to be holy in all our behavior, remembering our place and letting our conduct show it. And our place is under the submission of the Holy Spirit. And then I would add, if you want to turn your sheet over there, be remember, or remember and be grateful. Remember and be grateful. For the price paid for our salvation, it wasn't with perishable things such as silver or gold. No, we were purchased with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. It cost him everything. And in exchange, we are to be holy as he is holy. The fundamental idea of our holiness is separation or consecration or devotion to the service of the deity sharing in God's purity and abstaining from earth's defilement. In the Greek, it is hagios, which means chaste, separate, pure, upright, blameless in heart and life, virtuous, holy. And that comes from the Complete Word Study Dictionary. So what are some ways that we can be set apart to God? Now, last month we learned that there are ascetics, there are do-gooders, and we learned that there are those who are lascivious or lawbreakers, rebels. So us ascetics have to be careful that we don't let our self-righteousness show through when we're looking at a list like this. 
So the question is, what are some ways that we can be set apart to God? And this is for open for discussion. What are some ways that we as believers can be set apart to God? Any ideas of that? Well, as, as parents, I think our first Mm-hmm. Okay, so we raise up our children. And as wives, so honor the Lord by being honoring honoring our husband. Okay. That's uh, that's what we ask them to be. That's our first. That's our first. Uh, you know, if if we're not single, these are our first things. Right. Parents and and and, and I have to. I constantly. So you set yourself apart by taking care of the sick the way you would want God to take care of your children. So you set yourself apart as a nurse to do a higher standard of nursing than maybe some nurses who are just there for the job. Absolutely, a covenant. Okay, so how else can we set ourselves apart? Valerie. Yes, I did. Okay, um, are we on a scripture? Exactly. We, we are, we're talking about being, that God is holy, and that, um, here's your listening guide, and that we have been called to holy living. Okay. So, for me, as women, I think one of the classes for me from Proverbs 31 is one. Okay. Um, not that you ever make it. The, the perfect Proverbs 31 woman, but people should be able to see the characteristics of that woman in our lives. Okay. Um, to continue to seek the Holy Spirit, spend time alone. Sometimes you gotta hide yourself mm -hmm. from the world. And if you continually seek Him, He will drop you in the Spirit that is. For you as an individual, he has sent us to do as a group, 
that will set you apart so you can hear his voice. And one of the things that I, I mentioned is not to get in that low level chatter that we mm-hmm. do, like criticizing, gossiping, right. you know, that's low level ch- chatter. And to understand our position in, in Christ, mm-hmm. which is high above. So if we're seated in heavenly places, it is, we don't need to get in that low level things, gotcha. not be entangled with the things of the world, not that you shouldn't be concerned to, to able to recognize and be if Cynthia would bring up to you for instance, he said, um, I have not given you a spirit of say about power, love, and a trauma. And to walk in it, that's a threefold anointing he has given us. Yes. And there's so many ways once we begin to grow, once we begin to spend time and understand that he showed us how to set ourselves apart. apart. Yes. So for me personally, there's been times when I've been watching a show. Um, and been very convicted by what I was watching and turned it. So it's what I'm seeing. It's what I'm putting before my eyes. Um, It's what I'm saying. Our speech makes a difference. And if we are taking the Lord's name in vain, we are like the world. We're not set apart. Um, If we are um, gossiping, as you were talking about, that is not from the Lord. So what we speak, what we see, what we hear, what we do, all of those things should set us apart as those who are serving a holy God. Now, saying that, we all know the story of the Pharisees. We know that they put on a grand show of being holier than thou. (laughs) But that's not what God has called us to. Because in that process of holiness, the main floor of it is humility. And if we are not humble before the Lord, if, we, if the world does not see us, us as humble people, they will not know that we serve a holy God. They will think that we are just like them, doing the best that they know how to do. And um, so we need to be set apart by our behavior, but it starts at the floor of humility. God bookends Isaiah's scene in heaven with the book of Revelation, where the apostle John also has a vision of God's throne room. And we find this account in Revelation chapter 4, verses 5 and following, where it says, Out from the throne come flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. Can you imagine? Out from the throne come flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. Now, we've had some thunderstorms here, lady, that that are pretty intense at times. We've had them where we... I've thought my windows were going to shatter, my trees were all falling around me, and that can't even compare with being front and center with the throne of God, where it says, out from the throne come flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God, which those seven spirits are... are, um, 
shown later as the spirit, the uh, characteristics of God. And before the throne, there was something like a sea of glass, like crystal, and in the center and around the throne, four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. That's where moms get it from. Oh, no, never mind. Uh, <laughs> front and behind. The first creature was like a lion, and the second creature was like a calf, and the third creature had a face like that of a man, and the fourth creature was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within. And, the, and day and night, they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and is to come. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, O Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and because of your will they existed and were created. What an amazing experience that is going to be for us, ladies, when we are standing before the throne of God and seeing this for ourselves. The praises of God never ceasing, day and night. And I don't know if you've been following the news with what's going on in the States, but praises have been going on at Asbury College day and night and now not just Asbury, but Lee and a bunch of other colleges have gotten on it too. And in New York Times Square, there is a revival happening, ladies. It's so, so powerful. And the praises have not stopped morning and night. Just a taste of heaven and what that will be like. We just never know what God is going to do with our prayers, do we? How many years have we prayed for revival of America? And he is bringing that before us. You know, it, it takes a, lo a lot sometimes for us thick-headed people to understand God's glory. But when he reveals himself to us, wow. Our holy God has shown himself to us through our Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you remember in John chapter 14 when Jesus replies to Philip's um, desire to see the Father? And Jesus says, have you been with me so long that you don't know that I have shown you the Father? Where the Father is, I am, and where I am, the Father is. He is the one that shows us the Father. And if anyone was set apart for service, it was Jesus. The God who became man, and it was Jesus. He was perfect and righteous in all his ways. And hopefully we have seen his glory and recognized how far we fall short of that. Like Isaiah, I think you and I could both declare, Woe am I, for I am unclean. But thank the Lord, we have a great high priest who gives us access not only to the Father, 
but to becoming holy as he is holy. Because of Christ, we can, like Isaiah and John, draw near to the throne of God. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. One of my favorite quotes of all time was from a pastor um, back in the 1800s. And in a sermon that he preached on November 19th in 1871, Charles Spurgeon had this to say, the throne of grace is still a throne. Familiarity there may be, but let it not be unhallowed. Boldness there should be, but let it not be impertinent. Still thou art on earth, and he is in heaven. God has blessed us with access to the throne through and in Christ Jesus. But we, may we never forget that it is still a throne. While we know there is grace, may we remember the holy sacrifice that made our access possible. In Christ, we are able to boldly, with confidence, know that he will accept our presence before him. Many in the Old Testament learned the very hard way about the holiness of God. God was a diligent parent teaching what holiness meant. His discipline was swift, and it was terrifying. But he taught those under the law what righteous living was to look like. It wasn't until Jesus came that he gave a new covenant, and he sent forgiveness and mercy rolled up in the package of grace. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Colossians 3.10 reminds us that we have had a new self put on us, a new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. In this true knowledge of who God is, I hope we understand, really understand the importance of recognizing him as the Holy One. May we stop being content to walk around in our old self, in our old nature, and to be content staying as a babe in Christ rather than growing in our relationship with him. May we eagerly strive to be holy as he is holy, and may we offer up a heart of praise as Hannah did in 1 Samuel when he was born. In chapter 2 of 1 Samuel, she sings a song, There is no one holy like the Lord. Indeed, there is no one beside you, nor is there any rock like our God. He is indeed like, unlike any other that existed, since he is the creator of all things. He is our rock, and there is no other beside him. So let us walk by his spirit. Let us walk in a manner worthy out of obedience to his call on our lives. And by the way, just as a disclaimer, if we are living holy as he is holy, the world out there is not going to be happy about it. <laughs> they are going to feel condemned by it. They are going to feel uncomfortable by it. That's how we know we're doing it right. <laughs>
<laughs> because God's spirit is moving on them to show them the distinction between what is their life and what is a holy life. And so we need to be aware of that and remember that our fight is not against flesh and blood. It's against spiritual things, principalities. And if I can ask you ladies to pray this week specifically for these campuses that are undergoing such a heavy um, presence of God, that they would be protected. Because we know the enemy will want to come in. We know the enemy is already trying to disrupt what is going on there. So um, remember to pray for our college-age kids, this generation coming up that are going to be future leaders of America. We want to be praying for them. And we also want to be praying for ourselves that we remember that our God is holy, 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 seated on the throne, not just the throne of grace, but the throne that welcomes us, a throne that has justice and has righteousness, and we must approach him at that. So that is what I leave you with today, that we would know that we would be humble and that we would be grateful for our holy God. Let me close in prayer. Father God, I just thank you so much for your grace and mercy, Lord. Um, where would we be without it? We would be destitute for sure. And uh, I thank you and praise you for Jesus who came and died in our place so that we could have a relationship with you. Father, help us to walk humbly before you. We want to, Lord. We have a heart that wants to. And yet so often we let ourselves get in the way. So, Father, just remind us, would you please, each time that uh, we forget about who you are and who we're not, would you remind us to live holy because you are holy and to be holy as you are holy because of our walk in Jesus Christ. And I pray for these ladies as they walk with you, that they would walk humbly before you with grateful hearts. And I thank you that you brought us together to work together in this body of believers and in the community around us, Lord. Help us to do that faithfully as servants of you, our most high God. Thank you, Lord, that you are a holy God, separate, and there is no other like you. You are our rock, and there is no other like you. Love you, Father, and I ask your blessing on the rest of our day. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, ladies. Thank you. Thank you.